Welcome, listeners, to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler, my guest in my home. To report the, record this podcast in person is someone you're very familiar with, Ben Shalati. Um, welcome to the podcast, Ben. I'm thrilled to be here, Richard. And I often pronounce your last name wrong, so say it correctly. <laughs> you got it right. It's Shalati. So it's a, it's a tough one. It's anglicized Arabic, and that's always <laughs> confusing. So, <laughs> um, Ben is so gracious to me. We meant to record this podcast about an hour and a half ago, but we've been talking, and it's just so great to catch up with Ben. And a lot of the conversation that we had now we'll have on the podcast. I reached out to Ben and asked him to be on the podcast. He's been on the podcast before, but um, there's just more that Ben can share with us about his life and the things he's learning and the things he hopes for all of us as we're working to create Zion. Um, I think this podcast, so generally, I'll give you a little bit of an overview of Ben's decision to date. That's part of a blog post that we'll post to. I think that's a blog from about November of 2023. Mm -hmm. um, and so he'll expand on that blog and bring us up to date on his latest feelings about his future. He will talk about um, his work as a therapist. As you may know, he no longer works at BYU, left on good terms, and is now um, a therapist, mostly focusing on LGBTQ clients. He is willing to take on additional clients. We'll link to his email in the show notes. You'd need to live in Utah to become a client. You'll also talk about gatherings and also talk about the Book of Mormon. Um, we spent a lot of time before we went live just talking about the scriptures and Ben's insights in the scriptures and how they apply to supporting LGBTQ Latter-day Saints. Um, ben turns 40. By the time this podcast is out, um, it will be after February 2nd, 2024, and Ben will be 40. So on behalf of all of us, we wish you a happy birthday, Ben. It's hard to believe you're 40. Thank you. I know. people. Actually, a lot of people think I'm already 40 because my hair is so gray. It is barely gray. <laughs> um, and you've got a great set of, great um, bit of hair. Um, in the show notes, we'll link to Ben's blog, as I mentioned. We'll link to his email. We'll link to the Gatherings website that Ben's going to talk about. Um, ben and I said a prayer, and we just hope this podcast is helpful to you as we work to create Zion. So Ben, turn it over to you. Yeah, well, first of all, Richard, it's just an honor to be here in your home and in this room again, because uh, the last few times I've recorded with you have been on Zoom, but you probably remember that we we basically started questions from the closet here in this house because the pandemic had just started and the place we we're going to use wouldn't <laughs> let us go anymore because of the pandemic. And so I called you, I was like, Richard, Charlie and I just started this podcast. And you said, what do you need? I said, we need equipment. You said, come to my house. And we probably recorded 20 episodes in this room. So good memories of, of uh, fun things that happened here. That's an honor. Yeah. Um, but I feel like there's been a lot of changes in my life, but the, the base things feel the same to me. Like my relationship with my family, with my friends and loved ones, all that feels the same. I just like, I have a, a different career. And uh, like you said, I, I, I recently started dating, but other than that, like things feel, feel fairly like, like the, the things that matter, the foundations of my life haven't changed. Um, just some, some differences, um, in my life. So should I talk about how the dating thing happens? Yes, talk, talk about, first? about that. Yeah. So, uh, this was not, uh, something I was, I was even considering. So when I, when I first came out, I was living in Tucson at the time, like when I came out publicly and you know, the BYU honor code, like wasn't even on my radar. Like I was living in Arizona and I thought about it, like, like, should I try and get a boyfriend? I, I, I was 
decided I didn't want to get married. Um, I wanted to follow the church's teachings. And I, I, I prayed about it a lot and really felt like uh, that wasn't the right choice for me. And this question of, should I find someone to date? Should I get a boyfriend? Should I pursue a, a romantic relationship? Has come up regularly in my life. And I prayed about it and prayed about it and prayed about it. And uh, have always just felt like, no, like being single is the right thing for me. And that's been really good. And when I, when I would give firesides and, and things, people would ask me, um, is it okay for, for, for people to same-sex date in the church? Like, what is the church's stance on that? And I, and I would say when I would give firesides, the church doesn't have a stance officially on same-sex dating. There, there's no official policy on that. But then I would say, but I have approached God and prayed about it. I know that for me, it's not the right thing. And so I am not going to, to date. So is it okay for me to date? And I would say no, because I, I, I have received revelation from God. That's not the right thing for me. And that, that was accurate and true. And then I gave a fireside in September of last year. And I said that, like those words. And I felt like it wasn't true. Wow. And I felt like God wasn't asking that of me anymore. And that was kind of surprising. And then I, I'd spent some time just like thinking and pondering and praying about it. And I had this experience where I had this big crush on a guy that I wrote about in, in this blog post that, that you referenced. And I am such an idiot when it comes to like romantic relationships. Uh, Cause I just never had a solid relationship with someone I, I was actually interested in. Like I dated women, but that's really different. Cause I didn't actually want to date them. I just felt like I was supposed to. And then when I was 29 and 30, I ended up in this, like I, they call them situationships now. <laughs> We're like in a relationship, but you're not uh, with this guy, Jordan, uh, where we didn't really have a healthy relationship because I was like, I'm not dating, but we're in love and I'm going to kiss you. You know, just like it was it was a tumultuous thing, um, but ultimately something that, that taught me a lot. So I just had like never been in an in a ac actual relationship with someone I wanted to be in a relationship with that was like healthy and solid. And so I was hanging out with this guy that I had a big crush on. We actually went on a, I went on a trip with his family and I thought he was probably into me because who invites a random person on a trip with their family? Um, and I told him on this trip, I said, because I was working at BYU at the time, I said, I really like you. I can't date anyone, but if I could date, you're who I'd want to date, which is such a weird thing to do. Like, and I thought about that, like, what did I want him to say? Like, what did I want back from him? And what I want, I think what I want from him was for him to say, oh, that's okay that we can't date, but I really like you too. I, I, like I wanted to be liked. I wanted someone that I thought was cool and attractive and, and that I looked up to, uh, to like me back. Cause that's just not something I've really gotten to experience. And he was so polite and so kind. And he said, Ben, that is so nice. I need you to know those feelings aren't reciprocated. Wow. I know, which that is a bummer, but you know, I'm not everyone's cup of tea and that's okay. Or I guess cup of whatever we're allowed to drink cup of water. <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah. And, and so, and that was fine. Like I was bummed about it, but I was like, well, I couldn't date him anyway. And then I decided to, to, to leave BYU just for professional reasons. I, I decided to leave so I could work, become a therapist. Um, and so we left on 100% good terms. And then finally I had this possibility for the first time in years of, well, I, I could date now cause I don't work at BYU. And I thought about it and thought about it and thought about it and prayed about it. And what I realized, what like the personal revelation I got was that I have been closing off my heart for so long and I have been pushing people away and I have not allowed myself to like someone because if I like someone, then I would lose so many things that mattered to me. Like I would lose my job. I would lose uh, staying in the community as someone that people looked up to who was, you know, like, like quote unquote, like doing it right by staying single. And, and I thought, you know, 
so, so I've been closing my heart off because I was so afraid of liking someone. Uh, and then as I, I prayed about it again and again and again, I just felt like it was time to take those barriers in my heart down. And, and so I, I called people I love and trust to chat through about, about this with. And I, I called my dad. And uh, when I told my dad, I, I said, I think I'm going to start dating. He said, Ben, this is the right move. Don't look back. And, and, and that was what a lot of people said too. Like, like, we love you. We trust you. And, you know, I called all my siblings to talk about it with them. And, um, and everyone was just like so nice and so kind. And, and so for me, you know, people talk about like me starting to date, like for me, this isn't about dating. This isn't about finding a boyfriend. Like that is not the goal here. The goal is to take down the barriers in my heart and to learn to allow myself to love someone to see if maybe someone can love me back. And I feel like there are things I couldn't have learned in my thirties if I had been in a relationship, like I needed to be single in my thirties and now I'm entering my forties, maybe it's time to, to find someone that I can love. And that might not happen. Like I might stay single and I would be okay with that. Um, but for whatever reason, I, I, I felt a strong impression multiple times that I need to learn to love better. Um, thank you. You're just so honest and vulnerable. And it's one of the things that I think a lot of us appreciate about you. As I read this blog originally and then read it again today, preparing for the podcast, a part of this is just your work to shut down these feelings for decades. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just recognize when I was at BYU in my 20s, I wasn't doing that. I was told to do just the opposite. And the culture supported um, my orientation and my goals for my orientation. And I wasn't in sort of lockdown mode. Talk about more of just being in lock. I'm using a term I don't think you used in the blog, lockdown mode for all these decades and what that's like. Yeah. um, You know, in a lot of ways, it made life easier uh, because romantic relationships are tricky. And like if someone has a crush on you that's not reciprocated, like that's tricky and uncomfortable. And so if a girl liked me, I would say, sorry, I'm gay. It's not about you. And then if a guy liked me, like, sorry, I'm in a committed relationship with Jesus. I'm not dating. (laughs) You know, and uh, so it, it made life really simple because I didn't have to deal with any of the stress of finding someone to like you, like you back, which is a really complicated and for most people, fairly stressful uh, circumstance to be in. Um, and so, so in a lot of ways, it made my life easier. Um, but I, th- I think what it did was it, it kept people out of my life. Like it kept me from learning things that happen when you are in a committed relationship. And, uh, and, and it's not to say like, like my life was, was bad or I was lonely, but I have like this wide breadth of friendships, like a lot of friendships, like people that I love and care about, like this wide breadth of friendships. But what I, but what I constantly pushed away was like, like a deep friendship that goes really deep, uh, like that deep relationship where someone like knows you and understands you and you spend your time with, I, I, I just pushed that away. And so that's something I, I, I feel like I've, I've missed out on. Um, you know, I've never gotten to have like those, oh, like those feelings of like, oh, I'm so excited about this person. I want to date them. It was always like, oh, I like this person. Shut it down. Um, and, uh, just recently I've only been on a handful of dates. Um, and, uh, like people are like, oh, well you just have to go on a bunch of bad dates. Like go out like crazy. Like, no, that's not what I want to do. I just want to like see who comes into my life organically. And, uh, my friend Tiffany in St. George, uh, she's a dear friend. And when I told her I was going to start dating, she, she said, Ben, please keep me up to date about your dates. Let me know how they go. And so I call her after every date I go on. And, uh, usually like, here's a funny thing that happened and why it was awkward. And, 
And, uh, and I called after one date and she said, you sound so excited. I'm like, I am, this was really fun. I really like this guy and we didn't know each other well, but it was like, it was an exciting thing. And that is not something I'd really experienced before. Like being really excited about spending time with someone. And then I wanted to get to know them better. And, and so, so I, I, I think I missed out on a lot of those experiences of, of what it's like to experience, you know, those, those new stages of love and those later deep stages of love. And, and, uh, and, you know, I don't know, like, like I don't have a boyfriend, like I'm not dating anyone. Um, but there's just a lot, I just haven't experienced. And so, um, I, I think that what, what happened during that lockdown, as, as you called it, was I got to focus on other parts of my growth. I got to focus on other parts of, of serving and building the kingdom. And now my focus has shifted a little bit. Like I'm still doing all those other things, but it's focused a little bit on, you know, what does it look like to love someone? Because I don't know what that looks like in, in a romantic way. Um, so, some would say, you know, this is you being deceived or listening to the wrong spirit or giving in to the natural man. Some would say this is you getting personal revelation from God about your path. And I don't know, you probably, you want to talk about that? Yeah. So I think, you know, a younger version of me would have also said those things. I would have said, this is not coming from God. This is not the right thing. Like you're being deceived. I think I would have felt that because this, someone doing this would have made me feel uncomfortable. Um, but I have learned what the voice of God sounds like to me in my life. And the same voice that told me, Ben, it's time to start dating. It's time to take down these barriers in your heart. That's the same voice I heard when I read the Book of Mormon recently and, 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 and knew that it was true. You know, it's the same feeling I got when I sustained President Nelson as the president of the church, and I knew he was called of God to be our prophet. You know, it's the same voice. And so if that is, if, if I would say, well, that's me being deceived, then, well, am I being deceived on those other things too? And I don't think so. I think that, that this is God guiding me and, and helping me go on to the next step of my life. And I am totally committed to being an active member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I, I'm going to maintain my temple recommend. And, uh, and I, I would be surprised if any of that ever changed. Um, but, uh, I just know what the voice of God sounds like to me. And this is what it said. And if someone wants to think I'm being deceived, like they're welcome to think that, but that's not, that was not my experience. And, um, I just, my feeling as listeners, I just trust Ben. My personal revelation doesn't give me the right to judge Ben's personal revelation. And so I just sit with that and say, my job is to love and support you and honor the personal revelation you're receiving yeah and um, and i would say if if anyone is concerned about anyone in their life being deceived uh i think the best thing they can do is help them be in environments where the spirit is there where they can talk to the spirit can talk to them and and so and i put myself in a lot of those environments you know, i'm in the temple for hours every week i read the scriptures every day i pray a lot i spend a lot of time pondering and i try and put myself in positions where, where god can talk to me and, and so if you're concerned about anyone in your life being deceived, help them be in places where the spirit can talk to them. Because in the end, it's not our words that are going to change anyone's heart and mind. It's going to be the feelings they get from God. Talk about um, same-sex dating can lead to a same-sex marriage. Um, so some would say, well, Ben, this is, um, you're going to be in a same-sex marriage in X number of time. Um, this is what's going to be your future. What do you, what would you say to somebody that says that to you? Yeah. 
you know, I think there are a lot of people who've been in a lot of dating relationships and most dating relationships don't lead to marriage, uh, but that doesn't mean they don't matter. They're not important. Um, you know, I don't know where this, you know, dating journey will, will take me. Like, like I, I don't know. Um, but I do know that I'm committed to core values that I have. I'm going to keep maintaining those, those values. So, so why would someone date if they're not planning on getting married? I think that is a good legitimate question. And what I've learned, uh, so there, there's a class at BYU that's called the eternal family and people call it, uh, eternal families. Like, uh, but the class is actually called the eternal family. And if you go to one of those classes, what the professors will say is that the eternal family is the family of God. Like all of us are part of this family. And some professors talk about this, the thing the church talks about called the doctrine of friendship. Like friendship is this important part of our life and it's a holy, sacred, special thing. And so I think sometimes we focus so much on relationships that like the relationships that matter are the sealed ones that will be eternal like that. Um, but all of our relationships matter. So for example, I live with a 90 year old woman named Charlotte. She just turned 90 and I've lived in her house for five and a half years. And she is one of the most important people in my life. Like one of the most important people in my life. We do the come follow me reading uh, every week together. Uh, every night when I get home, if she's still awake, we sit down and chat about our days. And we spend a lot of time together. And she is very important to me. I just threw her 90th birthday party. It was so much fun. Um, and our, we are not in a sealed relationship. And, you know, she's 90. I don't know how much longer she's going to be around. Um, but she's 50 years and 11 days older than me. And at some point, I'm going to be here and she's not going to be here. And does that mean that our relationship doesn't matter right now? You know, 100% it matters right now. It's important for both of us. And we were both learning things. We both, we, we both get comfort and joy from each other. And uh, her husband died in 2001, like long before we met. And, you know, I know that Charlotte would much rather be with her husband, live with him than live with me. Like, I know that clearly. Um, and I would rather live with a husband as well than with her. Um, but instead we have each other, like in this temporary living situation that for both of us is an answer to prayer and where God wants us, wants us to be. And so I don't know where any of this is going to lead. Like, I don't know where this journey is going to go, but I know that there are people that are going to come into my life or maybe just a person, um, that I'm going to need and that's going to need me. And if I don't go on this journey, I'm going to miss out on that relationship. And if it's not an eternal relationship, that doesn't mean it doesn't matter. You know, uh, my mom also has Alzheimer's. I, I talk about her a lot. And one of the wrestles people have with loved ones who have Alzheimer's is, does it matter if I even visit them? They're not going to remember. Like, I'm going to be gone. They, they don't recognize me. They're not going to remember. And there's a neuroscientist named Lisa Genova who talks about this, about uh, people wondering, like, well, should I even visit them? And what she says is, people do not forget the feeling of love that they felt. They might forget, the, they might forget what you said. They might forget that you visited. But they will have felt love in that moment. And that moment matters. And so my time with Charlotte really matters. And maybe I'll love someone and we'll only date for a month or a year or 10 years. I don't, I don't know. But those moments of feeling loved and loving someone, they will matter even if they don't last. And so, so once again, like, I don't know where this is all going to turn out, but I feel like I need to go on this journey to find out what it's like to love someone and to be loved in return because I don't know but that is like, and I think God wants me to experience that. Um, you have this in your blog, so I kind of know the answer. Um, do you hope other gay Latter-day Saints follow a similar path as you and start to same-sex date? Yeah. Here's the thing. I was single for a very long time, 
And even being single, I don't think I convinced anyone to be single. Because <laughs> uh, people look at my life and they don't think, well, I want to do what Ben does. You know, they, they, they should do what, what they want to do. So if someone wants to use my life as an example, then yes, be single for 10 years and then date. You know, it's like my life should not be the example. Um, everyone should seek out their own personal revelation. They should all talk to God and figure out what God wants them to do based on what he tells them. So I in no way want to be a model for anyone and what to do. If anyone wants to look for, to me as an example in any way, um, I would say I try my darndest to, to pray and seek out inspiration for, for me and my life from God and, I, and follow that. And I, I hope that's what everyone does. Um, but no one should look for me to me as a model or try and do what I do because um, I'm just living my, my best life. And I, I wrote about this in my book, but the example I give at the beginning is like, I usually wear glasses and I need glasses to see. And if someone grabbed my glasses and put them on their face to, to, to try and see, that would just give them blurry vision and a headache because I've been given a prescription for me. And everyone should find out what prescription God has for them in their life, not use the prescription that God has given me. I really like that, listeners. And it's something I've picked up in the spaces. You know, President Nelson talks about hear him, and we talk about write your own story with Christ. And I just think, you know, if you're a younger LGBTQ Latter-day Saint, to just you've got to write your own story and really own your own story. I remember coming to gather and Claire Dalton said at the end of her presentation, everybody in my life won't be there when I stand before Jesus. He is going to judge me and I'm going to be alone mm -hmm. with Jesus. And so I think there's something powerful about writing your own story. Um, I love your prescription glasses example. Own your own story. Um, Christ is going to be your judge. And I think it's fine to listen to other stories, to give context and perspective. So that's the value of questions from the closet podcast and this podcast. But eventually you're going to come to those forks in the road, mixed orientation marriage, single or um, same-sex marriage. And I think you've got to write your own story from a position of strength um, based on the personal revelation you've, you're receiving. And some of those one of those paths is outside of church teachings. And I, you know, invite everybody to follow church teachings, but also invite people to decide what their best path forward is. And I'll walk with you and leave judgment to our Savior. So that's how I kind of navigate that. But the weaponizing of stories is something I've learned is not usually helpful. And you've been very gracious not to do that. Yeah. Um, and just say, this is your story. More thoughts on that principle? Yeah. Um, there have been times in my life where I made choices because of other people and I made choices out of fear. Um, and those were the wrong decisions. Um, when I was getting, when I was talking to friends about this decision, I was going to make to start dating. Uh, I realized I couldn't do it in secret. Like I've been so openly and publicly single that that were to change. I felt like to maintain my integrity, I needed to tell people about this. And I had a good friend who said, Ben, don't tell people, just do it. And don't tell people there's no news yet. Um, and you can just date and, and not, not make it public. And then if you find someone, then you can let people know. Uh, and and the, she said the reason for that was because I my, my influence would diminish. She's like, there are people who will listen to you now who won't, who, when, if you're single, who won't listen to you if you're dating. And she said, you're doing so much good in the world. Like you need to be able to reach those people. And then I had this like flash of inspiration. And I, and I said to her, I can't make life decisions based on people I'm never going to be good enough for. 
Like I, I had firesides that get canceled all the time. It didn't matter that I had a book published by Deseret Book. It didn't matter that I was an honor code administrator at BYU. It didn't matter that I was a temple worker. Like I just could never be good enough for these people. And I thought, well, I can't make life choices based on people I'm not going to be good enough for. And, and so, um, that I, I just try and make the choice that that's right for me. And so if someone is making choices based on how other people are behaving, uh, and their choices or how someone's going to perceive their choices, that's just going to lead to heartache. You know, I, I had a, 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 a BYU student stop by my, my therapy office and not for therapy. It was like, she just came by to chat, um, last week and she, she unloaded this like sad story of just like how, like she was just trying to be, to be so good. And then she, she came out to some friends and, and her, her parents were just like so awful and said that you can't be friends with this girl because she's gay. And like, like it's just like so awful. And she was telling me how, how she felt about like how this like destroyed her self-esteem. Like, how could it not? Um, and I said to her, I said, you can't let these people define your experience because they don't understand. They're judging you and you are taking on their judgment. I said, you, I said, you just need to be okay with people being wrong about you. And that's one thing I've learned. Like, I just need to be okay with people looking at my life and thinking something that's not accurate, just being okay with that. Like Reddit, uh, there's a post on Reddit that says that BYU fired me a year ago. Like that's just wrong on every level. But then people were commenting about this thing that wasn't even true. Like, you know, whatever, that's the internet. Um, so I'm going off on a tangent now, but um, yeah, everyone's story should be their own. No one should look at anyone else for an example besides the savior. Um, and we should just let people be on their journey and, and love them along the way. Um, talk about, I, I, I'm going to read something that's pretty, that just, this is Ben Shalati 101. Because I was working at BYU, it was totally okay for me to have a crush on a guy and even talk about that crush, but going on a date would violate the honor code. So my younger self, if he read that, would have been, would have cringed in that first sentence. It's okay to have a crush on a guy and even talk about that. Cause I think, well, that just, I don't know what I, I can't put words in my younger self, but my older self recognizes there is no shame in the way you just talk about that same way as a straight person. And it kind of, when I go on my long walks and I'm running again, listeners, I think of I've been in this space eight years, and probably the first thing I'd go to is the need to take shame out of sexual orientation. And part of shame is feelings that are connected with someone's sexual orientation and how shame is one of Satan's greatest tools to separate people from God's love. And if you think that the natural feelings you have as a non-straight person are evil or against God's plan, but so you just so nonchalantly talk there's no shame i guess is what i'm saying it's just so transparent for you uh-huh. and normal and that's probably something that's helped me as an ally is just reading the way you frame that up and that doesn't change church teachings listeners or anything it just puts ben and everybody else on the same moral footing that they're not a mistake so i don't know if you want to talk about that because i know in your therapy work and probably in your own personal journey you work to take shame out of queer Latter-day Saints. Yeah. You know, um, when I was in my uh, early and mid-20s, I had a ring that my mom gave me when I left my mission that said return with honor on it. And when I got home from my mission, every time I thought a guy was attractive, I would twirl that ring and hum a hymn in my head so I wouldn't think about someone being attractive. I thought this is the way I will train myself not to be attracted to guys. And that did not work. Um, and then as I, I remember just like 
having crushes on guys and just like praying for it to go away. Like, I'd like, I don't want to think about this person this way. I don't want to think about them this way. And then I would like look up their Facebook and like look at pictures. And I would just like feel so terrible that I had done that. This is like in my like mid twenties. And then when I came out publicly, when I was 30, um, I just decided I'm just going to share the thoughts I've been having all along. And so my friends and I watched this uh, show together that had a classic love triangle triangle in it. And so people were like, well, you team this guy or team this guy. And, uh, and so I was like, well, I'm team this guy for this reason. Like, I think he's, and, and that was like, so hard for me to say at first. Like, I think this person is cute. And I'm like a 30 year old. <laughs> um, and then I just started doing that more and more. It's like being honest about the thoughts I had and the crushes I had. And then slowly that shame for being attracted to someone melted away. And all the things, like all the praying, all the fasting, all the trying to like do thought exercises didn't take any of that away. But, um, uh, my, 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 my feelings and attractions and orientation toward, towards men. Um, but what took away the shame was just being honest about it and sharing it. And it was awkward at first. Uh, I, I, uh, I have a, a client where oh, I don't want to talk. We, can we cut this out? <laughs> I don't want to bring up a client right now. Um, yeah. So I'll just leave that part out. Okay. <laughs> We're not going to talk about the client. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, one of the ways that I help people deal with their shame is just to talk with me honestly about what's going on in their life. Just like shed, shed some light on it. And the truth is it's not just LGBTQ people have shame. Like everyone's got shame, like things that they're hiding. And Satan's first commandment was to hide. Like he told Adam and Eve to hide. And when we hide things uh, that causes shame and the way that we heal that shame isn't just by coming out because you can come out and someone can be terrible to you and that might not heal your shame. Um, but what heals the shame is letting people see us and then being loved as we are seen as they see us and, and as they love us. You know, there, there are multiple scriptures that talk about how when the savior comes, he will see us as we are and we'll see him as he is. And that's because we'll have no shame because he like knows every part of us and loves us fully. And so if someone's feeling a lot of shame, I would say, find a person that loves you, that will see you and let them see you and then feel the love they have for you, even seeing all the parts of you that might have been filled with shame. Um, yeah, that's very helpful. I've, and you may have mentioned this before. Often I hear stories of queer Latter-day Saints, you know, assuming that God is displeased with this part about them. And finally praying and asking God, how do you feel about me? Mm-hmm. And that can be revel, rev, I can't say that word. Revelatory? <laughs> That's it, Ben. <laughs> it can be really helpful to recognize the, the, their creator, um, how their creator feels about them, all of them. Have you had some of those experiences? or? Yeah. You know, we're kind of going back maybe in prior podcasts, but just in case there's a new listener I'm new on this road, you might have some thoughts for them. Yeah. You know, I've talked to hundreds, like many hundreds of LGBTQ saints. And what always happens when, oh, hey there, dog. (laughs) (laughs) You're fine. She's very cute. Sorry to give you things to edit, Richard. That's okay. (laughs) Um, so I've talked to many hundreds of LGBTQ saints and the answer that always comes when they, when they seek God out and pray and ask, you know, how do you feel about me? The answer is always love. Like I've heard that story hundreds of times. Uh, I don't remember having a moment where I did that. Like, I don't think I knelt down and 
prayed like, God, do you love me for being gay? Like, I don't remember a moment doing that. I think it was more of like, it wasn't like a, a light switch revelation where it was like, I feel shame and I prayed in God. And like, now I feel love. I think it was for, for me more of like a slow process, more of like a, a, a pondering process. And I don't remember ever asking God specifically, but just that feeling that came over time of, I love you and I created you as you are. Um, t- anything else on the blog before we shift gears or any on your dating or your future? Um, let's see. Anything else on any of that? Um, I have just been really grateful that people have been so kind about it and that people have trusted me. Uh, a lot of people have wanted updates and, uh, these updates often involve other people. And so I don't usually share them except with like close friends. Um, so like, just let me be and I'll share what I want to share when there's something to share. Um, just talk about, you mentioned that sometimes you get canceled from firesides. Why? Uh, I think it's because this is a topic that's very uncomfortable for people. Um, talking about LGBTQ stuff is uncomfortable for people. And I think some people might think that it's, it's a bad idea that if we talk about LGBTQ things, it's going to, we're going to be condoning sin or we're going to confuse the youth. I think those are the, the main issues that I, the, the, the comments that I, I hear from people when something gets canceled. So I think it just comes down to fear and, um, and, and, you know, people can make the choice they want to make. I, I think it's too bad <laughs> that we're not having these conversations. You know, Elder Ballard said we need to listen to and understand our LGBT brothers and sisters, and we need to do better than we've done before. Like, he, that's exactly what he said. And so I, I wish we'd do a better job of listening and understanding. And, you know, and I, my dream would be that we don't just have LGBTQ firesides, but we have firesides from people who are divorced and single and and people who, who are neurodivergent and, and people who are, are, are immigrants and, uh, and, and even straight white guys can get firesides too, you know? <laughs> um, but I, I just wish that we just heard more stories. I just wish we had more access to one another's hearts. Like I want to hear what's going on in people's lives and their experiences. Um, the, no one ever asked me to do this, uh, when I was living in Tucson, but one Saturday I was probably supposed to be working on my dissertation or something. I didn't want to. Uh, so I just, I thought if I was asked to give a, to give a talk on what my experience is like being a gay member of the church, what would I say? And so I spent that day writing that talk and the talk ended up being about charity, uh, through the lens of me being a gay person. And so like when I give a talk, I'm not talking about my orientation. I'm talking about the atonement of Jesus Christ and how, what I've learned about through my experiences. And so, so because people are scared or afraid, they miss out on my experiences with Jesus. And I would love to share those experiences. I love that. And I think there is fear. And, you know, I love you reminding us about Elder Ballard's quote, and it's hard to fulfill that charge if we don't talk about it. Mm-hmm. I think not talking about it doesn't help. <laughs> um, somewhat, I'm still on, I haven't shifted gears now. Another question came to mind. Someone might say, Ben, you've wasted 10 years of your life. You could have started dating at 30 and you'd and you've wasted 10 years of your life. I, I think you don't feel that way, but just for clarification, what would you say to someone that thinks that? Yeah. Um, the last 10 years of my life have been the happiest. They have been so wonderful and so fulfilling. And if that's what a wasted life looks like, <laughs> uh, I can't even, like, I've just been so happy. Things have been, it's been a really miraculous 10 years. Um, so I would say, no, I haven't wasted that time. I have been, I, I checked in with God constantly and lived the life that I felt called to live. And it was absolutely beautiful and wonderful. So uh, I don't feel that it was wasted. I feel like it was productive and glorious. Mm-hmm. 
talk about um, BYU because you mentioned that Reddit thread. Just set the record straight on um, separating yourself from BYU. Remind people of your academic ex- um, you're, you have a PhD, you're Dr. Chalati. Yeah, I am. <laughs> and so why this is kind of a natural transition to start to be part of a therapy practice. Yeah. So I uh, came to BYU to get a master's in social work in 2017. And my plan was like, I, I, I loved my life in Tucson. I wanted to stay there forever. I have friends there who are like family. I never wanted to leave. And then I just really felt like I needed to come back to school and get another master's degree so I could become a therapist and work with LGBTQ clients and their families. And so I came to BYU and did that, that two-year degree at BYU. And while I was at BYU, I was asked to be part of this working group of nine LGBTQ students and a bunch of campus administrators to talk about the campus climate. We, we planned an, an event and it was beautiful. And I remember as I was walking across campus, like my last semester at BYU in that master's program, it was like walking to a devotional and I had this strong impression like BYU wasn't done with me yet. And so when I graduated, instead of becoming a therapist like I had planned, I, there was a job opening in the honor code office. And I felt super strongly I was supposed to apply for that. And I did. And it was awesome. Like I worked there for four years. And I would say it was the right place for me to be for like three and a half years. <laughs> and then it was time to move on. But I just loved the people I worked with. I loved the students I got to work with. I, I got to teach. I had so many opportunities. It was awesome. Like my experience working at BYU was top notch and I loved it. And I didn't want to leave. Uh, and then in late August of 2000, like last year, 2023, I was, um, I, I was teaching a self-reliance class for my ward. And every Sunday, you know, a group of people would come over. We'd go through this self-reliance class. It was called Education for a Better Job, I think is what it was called. And so I, we were talking about like career changes. And I was thinking about that. And I thought, well, I'm feeling kind of stagnant in my job right now. And I always wanted to be a therapist, but I never got to do that full time. And I was like, but I don't want to leave BYU. Like I, I want to stay. I, I never wanted to leave. And then um, someone at BYU called me and asked me to, to adjunct two classes um, in his department. And I want to do that so badly. I thought, but I can't like, because I already have a full-time job, like I don't have time to teach these classes too. And I thought, well, if I stay in my job, I'm not going to grow professionally. And so that was just kind of running through my mind. I thought maybe I should quit my job so I can do some other things professionally. And then um, the, uh, the next night, this was uh, a Saturday night, um, my friend Eric called me and he's a therapist. And we were just talking about Gather because he was performing at Gather. And then he said, how are things at BYU? And I said, well, I'm thinking about quitting. <laughs> and he said, well, you know, Ben, I, I just started my own therapy practice and I would love to hire you. And I was like, so I asked him some questions and then, and then, I, and then I called some friends and I called my dad, just like talk through, t- talk through it with some people. And then the next, the next morning, we were going through this self-reliance class and there was a paragraph that spoke directly to me in the class, like in the, in the manual. I don't remember what it said exactly, but something like some people are afraid to make career changes because they're so comfortable where they are. They don't want to step into someplace uncomfortable and do something different. And it like spoke to me. I was like, I know it. I have to quit. So the next morning I'd been thinking of this for like two days. I talked to my boss. I said, I think I'm going to quit. And he was so kind. I said, well, when do you need me to make a decision? He said, just give us two weeks notice. When you're ready, he said, we, we're, we're so happy to have you here. Um, but if you're ready to leave, you know, we will wish you the best. And so that was Monday. Then on Wednesday, I said, I'm ready to go. I just knew it. And so uh, we left on really good terms. The honor code office, some of us um, would play cards every Wednesday during lunch. And I still go and play cards with them. I'm still on campus every week. 
Um, and we left super, I left super amicably. And my, my boss even says that Ben, you're, 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 you're very loved and respected here. And if you ever want to come back, I'm sure there'd be a place for you. And so I would, uh, at some point in my life, honestly, I would love to go back to BYU. But right now I came to Utah to be a therapist, to work with LGBTQ clients, and their families. I didn't do that. I did this other thing, but now I feel like it's time to do that thing. I came to Utah to do. Um, I love that. It just makes sense. And all the academic work you've done to become a therapist. Um, I love that now you're putting that to work plus your own lived experience that informs your experience. Talk about, um, I get a lot of messages and I know you do too, for parents looking for a therapist for their LGBTQ youth or parents needing principles to navigate parenting and LGBTQ youth. Um, talk a little bit about more about your focus. If somebody listener is wondering, is Ben Shalati the right um, therapist for our family needs? Yeah. So um, I'm only licensed in Utah, so you'd have to live in Utah. And my office is in Orem, but I do remote sessions as well. Uh, but I'm working primarily with LGBTQ young adults. That's primarily who's come to me. Uh, but not not everyone is in that demographic. And so people working through faith transitions, working through shame, and people are at different stages. So sometimes they're really angry at the church or they're angry at their families. And we, we work through that. Or they're like, I, I hate myself because of my orientation. Like, what do I do about that? Or I had this traumatic experience. Like, what do I do with this trauma? And so a whole wide range of people. Um, I would say about two thirds of my clients are LGBTQ. And another third are just like their parents follow me online. And so they, they, they parents are like, you should see Ben and they know nothing about me, but they're great. So, you know, just general therapy. Um, but I, I really thought I would see more parents of LGBTQ kiddos uh, just because I'm most people who follow me are like middle-aged moms. I was expecting them to come over there, but no, I don't have a single mom come in. Um, but I thought that was going to be more of the demographic I worked with. Um, but uh, yeah, it's so fun working with these uh, LGBTQ young adults. You know, they're in this, stage of emerging adulthood where they're trying to figure out who they are and what they want their life to look like. And so we talk a lot about values and making value-based decisions. And it's just really fun to help them figure things out and, and make choices that are aligned with their values. And, you know, for some of them, this is the first time they've ever talked about the, this with people. You know, I have a client who, who is trans and, and they wanted their mom to come into a session. And so their mom came in and as we were talking, I, I, and the mom knew that, that their kid was trans. Um, and, uh, and, I, and I said, well, what do you want your mom to know that she doesn't know? And this client just said, well, I, I want her to know that I'm trans. And they'd never said that before. Then it's like they leaned back into the couch, like had a big reaction. It's like, I can't believe I just said that. But like everyone already knew, but they'd never said those words. Um, and then I got to be there and help facilitate a conversation with them as they talked through that. And that was like a really beautiful moment. And I get to have these kind of moments as a therapist where, where people get to get to share part part of their heart either with me or with someone that they like with a family member and just watch the healing happen. And that's that's really beautiful. Yeah. Are you tired at the end of a day or are you like even more energized at the end of a day? And does that compare with the honor code the same way? Is there a different type of because both are very there's a personal component of both of those jobs where you're you're interacting with people on a day-to-day -day basis. Just talk about if there's a difference there. And yeah, um, I would say, I mean, work is work. So it, it takes like it takes energy to do, but I don't actually usually leave work tired. Like I, I, I'm a, I was a teacher by profession for a very long time and I'm still like, I like teaching is what I was meant to do. And so therapy is just like teaching, but one-on-one. -on -one. 
Um, but when I teach a group of people, I leave energized. Like I could teach all day long and I'm, it energizes me. Um, but when I'm like sitting with someone and, you know, taking in everything that they're saying and reframing it and reflecting it back to them and helping them and helping them see things, um, it, it usually isn't draining, but it, it can be because, you know, hard things come out. Like people have tough lives. And, you know, sometimes someone will come in and talk about one thing, but then as we're talking, like there's this other thing that was going on that they hadn't quite put into words yet. And that, that then comes up and, you know, people just have really tough things, but, uh, I think, so sometimes I leave tired, but usually not. And this is why it is such an honor to get to know someone. It is such an honor. And so when someone comes in and trusts me with like all these deep parts of them, when they leave, I'm not thinking, oh good, now I can take a break. I'm thinking, I am so grateful. I got to spend time with that person. I think that every single time, like I've not had a client come in where I thought, I wish I didn't do that. Like, I'm always so grateful that I get to like see someone's heart. Like it, it is an honor to get to know people. And I get to know, know these people in ways that I didn't. And just like a quick BYU note, I did a lot of mentoring with LGBTQ students at BYU while I was there. And I was surprised at how different this felt. Cause like what I was doing with them wasn't therapy, but when, when someone comes in for therapy, we get really deep, really fast. And so I just get, I'm getting to know people on like such a deep level and it's an honor. That's really cool. Uh, parents and priesthood leaders um, often are, they're not therapists. Often they're in the middle of trying to help an LGBTQ youth. And um, I, I want to be clear that I think it's good bishops aren't therapists and they get therapists involved in situations um, that need a therapist. But what? without making bishops therapists or parents therapists, just some general parent principles you'd give, I don't know if they'd be the same principles or different principles first with the priesthood leadership group. Mm-hmm. If you know, they've got a queer kid coming out to them and they've kind of, this is their first experience or a parent. Yeah. And those could be one hour podcast for each <laughs> of those. Yeah. Um, this is a principle I so believe in, and I, I took this from the church's website. So on the church's website, there's uh, this whole page called Ministry and Resources. It might be called Counseling Resources. I think it's called, it's either counsel, it's Counseling Resources. And they've got a bunch of topics that are often difficult for church leaders to, to handle, like, like early term missionaries and abuse and trauma. And one of the, one of the sections is same-sex attraction. And a, a few paragraphs down in that section, it says the most important thing you can do is help a member connect with God and seek and get personalized direction on their path. That's what it says. The most important thing you can do is help them connect with God and find personal direction on their path. And so the best thing a parent can do is help their kid learn what the voice of God sounds like. And I think that's the most important thing that a, a church leader can do is help them hear the voice of God because it doesn't matter what you tell them. Uh, it's not going to be as powerful as if God tells them that. And so I would say help them learn what the voice of God feels like. And I had people like that when there were like strong moments where the spirit was there and they would say, Ben, are you feeling that? Like that's the Holy ghost talking to you. And people taught me what the voice of God sounded like. And then as I got older, I, I learned more and more how to, how to connect with God and hear him talk to me. Sometimes I wish he talked more, but he talks enough. <laughs> um, and then the other thing I think is just, to, just to listen. And um, if someone wants some tips on better listening, uh, the Gottman Institute, that's G-O-T-T-M-A-N, has a great little online pamphlet called How to Listen Better. And it's like 15 pages. It's amazing. And just becoming a better listener is so important. 
Um, my, I believe strongly that that people already have the answer inside of them. They just need to like figure it out and get it out. I'm a very out loud thinker, so I talk. Uh, I talk my thoughts through with with people I, I trust and care about. And so it's really important for me to have good listeners in my life because that's how I figure things out. And more often than not, it doesn't matter what the other person says. Just as I'm talking and as they're listening, I figure the thing out myself. It's a terrific answer. Listeners, we'll, we'll link to that ministering resources in the show notes. It used to be only available to a church leader and you had to sign in with your LDS tools. But a few years ago, they made it available to anybody. So we'll link to that. It's so good. It's amazing. And... um you said something in there that I wrote down that usually the answer is already in them. And my experience, and I don't want to always go back to when I was a YSA bishop, but the longer I served in that assignment, the less prescriptive I got and the more listening I did. Because I just felt like most of the times the YSA could come to an answer on their own and they owned it better if it was the answer that was always inside of them mm-hmm. versus my answer for them. They wanted to know about career. They wanted to know about dating. They wanted to know who to date. All these questions that somehow culturally, we sometimes go to the bishop and the bishop will have the answer. And uh-huh. um, I recognized I didn't have the answer on what college they should go to, what major, who they should date. And maybe I had some personal opinions that were informed by my culture, my background, but it may be very different than God's will for them mm-hmm. and the answer that was already inside of them. And so... The other thing I thought concurrent with that is I'd never been to a leadership meeting in my life where we're taught how to listen. Mm-hmm. And I think it's an underdeveloped skill as Latter-day Saints. It's a skill that's part of preach my gospel. But your your reference to the got the what institute? The Gottman Institute. Gottman. Um, so check that out. And I think it's just a a great skill for parents and leaders is to listen, ask open-ended questions non-leading questions, but I just think people do better when the answer inside them, to use your words, becomes revealed to them mm-hmm. through their own personal revelation. Then they own that decision. They're not leaving a parent's experience or a bishop's experience and saying, this is what the bishop or my parent wants me to do. This is what God wants me to do. And I own that decision. And I think people do better long-term with that sort of mindset. Yeah. And all you have to do when someone says something, you just say, oh, wow, tell me more. Like all I have to do is just say, tell me more. And people will tell you more. And it's, it's easy to get someone talking. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think towards the end of my YSA assignment, I spent 80% of the time listening. <laughs> and those became some of the best um, YSA visits, just listening and asking open-ended questions. Yeah. So, you, you know, Richard, I'll have people come into my therapy office and they'll be like, I'm doing this thing I know I shouldn't. And then I, like, I could just say, well, then stop it. You know, well, that's not what they need to hear. I'm like, well, tell me more about that. You know, what, what's been going on? Why have you been doing this thing? And then as we kind of untangle it, they get to a point where like, yeah, I knew I shouldn't do this thing. And now I'm going to stop doing it. Like they already knew. They just needed to like talk through it and like get the reasons out themselves. Anyway. So I love that. Um, thanks for the work you're doing. And those of you that are considering a career um, in Ben's area, there's a huge need in our world um, for therapists, people that have and I'm skilled in this area, and I don't change your career just because of this podcast, but... Um, that Unless the Holy Ghost tells you to, maybe. <laughs> yeah. But this is just an area where um, there's a real need for this type of skill, and then it brings those skills into your, you know, your family, your relationships. So it's a, it's a skill set I wish I'd had more exposure to 
I spent all my time at the Tanner building at BYU and never ventured anywhere else besides <laughs> learning business. And I wish I'd been a little more thoughtful and just picking up classes that taught me more of these other skills during my academic experience. Um, talk about gatherings. We had the event called Gather, and Claire um, Dalton was on the podcast talking about gatherings. And I can't remember. No, you didn't do that podcast. It was just Claire Solo. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but you and Claire have been really involved in gatherings as kind of a way to scale gather. Talk yeah. about that. Oh, my gosh, Richard. I am so excited about gatherings. <laughs> I There are like some things I've done in my life that I'm like, this was the right thing to do. I'm so proud of it. This is one of those few things. Uh, so after the gather conference, I, I feel like every time I do something, I then like get an idea for like the next thing. So gather had just ended. And I talked to so many people who said like, oh, this was so fun. I would, could we do gather every month? Like this, I would love to come to this conference every month. And or they would say things like, I wish there were people in my, in my area, just like the, like the people here that I could meet with. And so then just days after gather, the thought came to my head of this idea called that I called gatherings, which was independently organized groups where people could could meet and talk about the gospel and talk about LGBTQ things together. Um, and so I was, and so uh, I, I had just left BYU and I, I went on vacation to the Caribbean for two weeks to visit a friend. So I'm like in the Caribbean, having a great time. And I like, okay, people don't know how to do this. So I just have to tell them what to do. I'll make a little curriculum uh, that follows the Come Follow Me reading that was a little bit of an LGBTQ spin. And then they can just use that curriculum. So I started writing it and I was like, no, I shouldn't do this. Claire should do it. Claire's the edu- like the religious educator. She would do great. So I was still in the Caribbean and I called her and I was like, Claire, I have this idea. Would you do this thing? And she's like, oh my gosh, that sounds so fun. And so then she did it. She came up with, she wrote the curriculum and it follows the Come Follow Me reading. And we knew that there would be people in, in different spaces. So the gatherings curriculum has three different, uh, like different things you can do. So one is uh, very based on the Come Follow Me reading. And uh, Claire has wrote some discussion questions um, and it, they're, they're wonderful and they're not specifically LGBTQ focused, but they lead to LGBTQ folks talking about their experiences. Um, and then the next, the second thing is, is uh, we call it voices of faith. I think as we call it or stories of faith um, where we have uh, like a, a book chapter or a podcast or a blog um, written by an LGBTQ person or ally. Um, they can discuss that and how it relates to them. And the third part is called share your story, where it just has a, a question to just prompt someone to share an aspect of their experience with, with their group. So, um, and so the idea is people will start one of these in their own home and just invite people over to their home and just gather together and get people who, uh, just get people together who, who want to have these kinds of discussions, who want to be in a place like this. Um, and it's been wonderful. I've been to two gatherings. So I think I went to the very first one. It was on January 1st. My friend Austin hosted it at, at his house. And I posted about it on social media and we have a weekly group that gets together. And so there were like 10 of us in the group and like 10 random people showed up and it was amazing. The spirit was there. This, this kid came who had never come out to anyone before. Well, he'd come out to like some family, but wasn't really out, but followed me on social media. Then he told us his story after, and it was just beautiful, like absolutely amazing. And then I hosted one at my house a few weeks later, and I thought once again it was going to be mostly middle-aged moms coming, but it was almost exclusively BYU students and and uh, UVU students. And some of them were out, some of them weren't super out. And we started at seven, and we had an hour-long discussion. And I just asked the questions that Claire had written, like it was not hard. I just asked them the questions, and we had this beautiful discussion. Like the spirit was palpable, 
And I said, stay as long as you want. We started at seven. People stayed until 1130. Wow. They just wanted to be together. They wanted to chat. And finally at 1130, I was like, you guys got to go. Like, I have to go to bed. <laughs> but like, they wouldn't have left. They, people just crave being with people who understand them. And uh, as I, I just finished reading the Book of Mormon again, um, and I was reading in the first part of 3rd Nephi chapter 11, which I have read hundreds of times. And I didn't notice this, but in the first verse, it says that they were gathered together in the land of Bountiful, and they were conversing about this Jesus Christ, like Jesus Christ. So they were gathered together, and they were talking about Jesus, and that's when he appeared. And like that connection, I never made that before, but that's what I experienced. We gathered together. We conversed about Jesus and then he was there, like his spirit was there. And so if someone wants to feel God in their life more, gather with people and talk about Jesus with them. And I think that's how he'll show up in our lives and how he'll appear. And so I hope these gatherings pop up all over the world. Uh, Just these little groups of people who can support each other, strengthen their faith. And uh, to me, this is part of the the gathering, the people who who have felt like they've been scattered. And I've had like at least two gatherings and both of them, we have people who weren't active in the church come. There's like one, but like who care about the savior and care about the scriptures. And they felt like they had come to this, but not to church. And I was like, well, come let's build our faith together. And hopefully you can receive inspiration in your life. And so that's what gatherings is. Gatherings are, that's what the gatherings program is. (laughs) Um, And I, I just hope that people as they feel prompted to start them can, can, can start them and, if you want more information, they can go to gather-conference.com. That's where all the curriculum is. And it's, it's Claire did a really beautiful job. I'm glad and, she did it. And these are PDF files that are downloadable for free. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, who do you hope starts gather gatherings? Like um, I'm a, talk about parents that have a queer kid that may be out and may not be too connected to church or even come follow me. Would that be someone that could just do gatherings just as a family? Or is it something where you're thinking it's multiple families or it's single people or uh, just talk about kind of your vision for how this might be scaled into different situations? Yeah. You know, I think that we, we built the curriculum in such a way that anyone could do it. Someone could just do it on their own. Like we'd say, you can just gather with yourself and with God. Like, that's all you have to do. You can just do it on your own. Uh, but I, I heard about a family where their, their daughter isn't active in the church, and she's, she's a young adult now. And the mom said, well, can we, maybe we could like, do this gatherings curriculum as a family. And she said, yes, let's do it. And so they read the scriptures and talk about, the, uh, talk about them together. And she's not active in church, but she wanted to do this. And so, yes, families can do it. Um, there, there are support groups that had already formed that are now using the gathering curriculum uh, in their support groups. And that's great. You know, groups of allies can get together or LGBTQ people or parents and families can get, can get together or everyone can just join together, like families and allies and LGBTQ people, um, whatever people feel prompted to do. So my, my group that I, that I, uh, I mean, I only, I only hosted it once. I don't, I don't know what, I, if I'm going to like try and get the same people to come every time. I haven't decided what I want it to look like. Um, but I just put out an open invitation, but then the people who came were these LGBTQ college students. And that was an absolute blast. So I would say it can look like whatever you feel you need to look like. Um, It's just about getting people together with shared experiences to talk about the Savior and his gospel. And I've noticed you're building a database of gather of these places. Mm -hmm. Um, I guess someone that's just doing it in their home wouldn't make it to the database, but somebody that's inviting people 
to their home. Um, and so that's part of the database on the website you referenced. We'll put yeah. in the show notes, part of your vision to scale this across the world. Yeah. And because one of the problems is like, let's say you're uh, like a, a gay 24 year old who's going to USU and Logan, for example, and you want to go talk to people, but you're not out. You don't know anyone, uh, but you want to go to one of these things. So you need to find it. And so now someone can go to the website and, and go to Logan, Utah and say, oh, this person is hosting a gathering and I can email them and find out when and where it is. But like that's the idea. Um, so the people who are, are who aren't connected to others can find a connection. And the common thread is the Book of Mormon discussing the Book of Mormon. Mm-hmm. Yep. I love that. And next year we'll do the Doctrine and Covenants. I was going to ask you that question. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We, we plan on following the Come Follow Me reading because um, like it, like it, what the church is doing really matters to me. And I'd love doing the Come Follow Me reading. And, and my, like, I, I feel like this, this space of like connecting with others and like allyship and advocacy is not hard. Like we don't want people to have to do more things. Just do what you're already doing. And then add in this little piece. I love that. And there's so many people that want to create some sort of community to support each other. I've always felt like what's happening at the local level is, is you know, a really bright spot in the church right now. There's not a lot happening, you know, church-wide programs like this at this point. That may happen down the future, but it seems like there's a lot of stuff happening at the local level, the ward, stake, family, community. Um, just as we're honoring our baptism covenants to mourn, bear, and comfort in Elder Ballard's charge. And I love the simplicity of this and the and following along with the Book of Mormon. Um, you've read the Book of Mormon again. You did it, I think, in two months, a quick read. Um, before we went live, you had some really wonderful insights. I talked about the scattering. You talked a little bit about that, but just talk about um, your feelings about the Book of Mormon, any principles or insights or scriptures that you'd like to share with our listeners that kind of apply to this space? Yeah. So I, I'm turning 40 soon. Well, by the time this comes out, I will already be 40. And the Book of Mormon has been transformative in my life. And so I thought I'm starting a new decade. So I wanted to read the whole Book of Mormon in two months before to find principles to guide my next decade. So that's what I was reading for. Like, I want... I love that purpose. I, yeah. I want to find out how to live the next 10 years. And the principle of gathering just came up again and again and again. I hadn't noticed it that much in the Book of Mormon. And this is like, I wasn't looking for that, but that's what kept popping out to me. And there's a, a scripture in, in first Nephi 21. It's the first verse. So it's first Nephi 21 one. And this is an Isaiah chapter. And I was not expecting to get things out of the Isaiah verses. Um, but that verse that is not in the Book of Mormon or sorry, in the Bible version of Isaiah, it's just in the Book of Mormon version. It talks about it's God speaking to his people and he's speaking to the people who have been scattered by the, the wickedness of the pastors of the people. And, and it, it, he's talking to people who have been scattered because people were mistreated. And then he goes on to say in that chapter, he says, like, can a mother forget her, forget her child? Yea, she may forget thee, but I will not forget thee. I have, I have graven thee on the palms of my hands. And I knew that verse because it meant a lot because my mom has forgotten me. Um, but Jesus doesn't forget us. And if we feel like we've been scattered, like God's love is there and is constant. And my guess is Nephi put that in because they had to leave Jerusalem because the people were wicked and they were scattered because of wickedness. But they're saying we're on the Isles of the Sea, but God is still there. He, will, he won't forget us. And sometimes I feel like I've been scattered on the Isles of the Sea, but God's still there and won't forget me. And that principle kept coming up again and again. And another verse that really hit me was in Second uh, Nephi chapter 8, which is another Isaiah chapter. And it talks about the waste places of Zion. 
and how uh and, and i i was just like shocked i was like waste places in zion there shouldn't be waste places in the church but then it goes on to say the lord says that he'll water the waste places they will be a fruitful garden um and they'll be i think it even says they'll be like the garden of eden and i thought that that's what i want my next decade to be about like finding the places that need to be watered and being the instruments in the hands of god to help things grow in places that have felt barren and and I, I like this is what I was already trying to do, but now I like have a way to describe it. Um, and then as I as I kept reading, um, I was really struck at the end of the Book of Mormon about uh, the principles of faith, hope, and charity. You know, it comes up in Ether twelve, and then in in Moroni seven. And you know, those aren't new concepts, um, but I want to be a more charitable person. You know, when, when I read that verse in in uh, Moroni seven about what charity is, and did a little mental check of how am I doing, like I'm doing fine. But I could do better. And then uh, a lyric came to my head as I was reading that from I'm trying to be like Jesus, where it says, be gentle and loving in deed and in thought. And I thought, I am not gentle and loving in my thoughts. I think a lot of things about a lot of people that probably aren't gentle and loving. And I want to do better at that. Like, I want to be more charitable. I want to be filled with more faith and, 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 and more hope. And so as I look at towards my 40s, I want my 40s to be about gathering with people in charitable, hopeful, and faithful ways. Um, and then uh, when I finished reading the Book of Mormon just, just a few days ago, uh, I knelt down and prayed. And I didn't ask God if it was true because I already knew that. But I thanked God for the experience I had reading that book because it opened the windows of heaven to me. It really did. And there's a lot of the Book of Mormon that I don't find super engaging, like the war chapters, like whatever. I mean, I don't find a lot in there. Um, but that plenty of people do, but even in those days where I was reading something and like not finding a principle in it, just the idea, just spending time every day seeking the will of God made my life better and lighter. And one of the things I want to take away from this is that I am blessed when I seek and I want to, I want to seek God's and God's light and love and knowledge more. I want to, I want to feel his love every day and I want to bring people into that love. That was a golden segment. <laughs> Thanks. Um, waste places in Zion. Tell our listeners if you remember the scripture reference for that. It's uh, I'm I'm 99% sure it's Second Nephi chapter eight. You can find it if it's not. But yeah, I've I've heard that phrase before. I've read that scripture, but I've never thought about there are waste places in Zion. It didn't describe it as a different land. It described yeah. it within Zion. Yeah, yeah. And then that opens my mind to why are there waste places in Zion? Because that's not God's will. <laughs> yeah. That's not the definition of Zion, but those two things coexist in that scripture. Mm -hmm. Yep. And I'm, then... I mean, it says in 2 Nephi 28 that if we say all is well in Zion, yea, Zion prospereth, that's the devil tricking us. So... You know, clearly there's work to do. Uh, we all have work, so I guess none of us should shirk and put our shoulder to the wheel. Um, but yeah, there's just like God is calling us to be good to each other and to love one another. Um, I had a I have a client where as we were talking and as as this client was talking, I just reflected back. It sounds like you need more love in your life, and they just started laughing. They said, "That's exactly what I need." And I said, well, tell me about that laugh. And they said, it's just such a weird thing to hear, but it's true. I need more love in my life. I think a lot of us need that. There are a lot of people who are lonely and sad. Um, you know, I talked to, a, like, I, I was a BYU student three times and something happened between my undergraduate degree that I started in 2002 
and my graduate degree that, that I had started in 2017. In those 15 years, people started spending a lot of time in their bedrooms on their own on their computers. It didn't happen when I was first there. And I, I think a lot of people are, are, are really isolated right now and self-isolating. And God wants us to be together. He wants us to love one another. He wants us to sit in the living room and not in our, not in our bedroom. He wants us to call someone instead of texting them, you know? Um, and and I, I think that there's, there's a lot of watering to do in these waste places in Zion that God's calling us to do. Well, I'm just thinking a lot about that. And um, the scattering, I, you know, Claire Dalton introduced that concept several podcasts ago where if there's a need for this gathering that we're talking about, there's a prior scattering. Mm-hmm. And um, what caused that and what caused these waste places? And does it represent the things we've said and thought about LGBTQ people that caused them to feel, I don't quite know how to connect that to waste places, but feel bad about who they are, their place in Zion. And, mm-hmm. and as we're maturing as a church, hopefully we can kind of look inward and recognize that we have got work to do. Um to turn the waste places into Zion and by and gathering LGBTQ Latter-day Saints that largely have been scattered with their words and actions. And can I share one more story that really hit me? Yes. Um, so I, I had read uh, Alma 32 so many times. Yeah, so I wasn't talk ex- about that. So I wasn't expecting to get anything out of it, but um, I was, and I, I knew this already, but it just like hit me, you know, with that, that inspiration power um, when Alma 32 starts out with the poor Zoramites, the, their question is, we've been kicked out of our synagogues. We're not, not allowed to worship. What do we do? These people who want to worship and they can't. And then that question, like, what do we do? We're not allowed to go to church. And then that leads to one of the best discourses on faith. And then, and then since I was reading all so fast, like the story just kind of yeah. like coalesced in ways it hadn't. And then Alma baptizes these poor people and then they're kicked out of the town. Like they're run out of town because they joined the church. And then where do they go? The Ammonites in the land of Jershon, who had been refugees themselves, take them in. And uh, it struck me because it describes them as exceedingly poor. Like they were very poor. And so when this whole new group of people shows up in a town, they need to live somewhere. They need food. They don't have any of that. And so I imagine these Ammonites actually took these people into their homes and fed them. And, you know, I don't know, it doesn't need to be literally that. I think sometimes it does need to be that. But um, there are people like that who are exceedingly poor in spirit. And they need us to to take them in because they've been cast out by the people who should have welcomed them in. And um, like this, this BYU student I mentioned, you know, half an hour or so ago who like came out and then she was kicked out of this friend's family. Like that is bad. But she got to come to my office and she, she later messaged me and apologized. Like, I'm so sorry I took up so much of your time. <laughs> and like, and we were just chatting. So like, I didn't get paid for it. Um, and then I, I messaged her back and I said, you are, wor- you are worth my time. And she wrote back and said, that is, means the world to me. I needed to hear that today. Like, I want everyone to know, like, you're worth my time. Like, I literally can't take everyone in. Like, I, I can't. But together we can. Like, together we can, we can take in all the people who feel like they, they have been cast out. And we can feed them and house them and love them. I'm thinking of that scripture somewhere in the Book of Mormon, whether they were in or out of the church, we, you know, we, we meet people's needs. I love a couple of things. Um, I love that you read the Book of Mormon with a purpose. You're turning 40 and you read it with 
those, that lens of what is this next decade? That's something our leaders have consistently invited us to do is read the Book of Mormon with a purpose, read it with a specific question in mind. There's just so many layers of the Book of Mormon. Mm-hmm. You have read the Book of Mormon many, many times, Ben, but here you are reading verses that you're familiar with all the words. It's not like there's words there you haven't read before. Um, I think that's so important for all of us to do. And just, it's one of the anchor points of my testimony in the church is the Book of Mormon's ability to give us personal revelation and also principles to navigate complicated um, church topics like LGBTQ and all the the stories that are in there that are now part of the gatherings curriculum or can be to have these discussions on how to create Zion. Zion, that's the title of Charlie's book, um, Expanding the Borders of Zion. There's so much doctrine in our church around Zion and creating Zion. I love Elder Cook's talk about unity and diversity are not opposites. And part of my feeling about Zion, it's not sameness, but it's unity and purpose. And taking all of our beautiful differences that God created intentionally and using that um, to lift the burdens of others, like you're talking about in the Book of Mormon. It's really powerful. Thank you. Yeah. The Book of Mormon is awesome. We should give a shout out to Allison Dayton, um, who's, you know, you were on the original committee along with Allison to put together Gather and all the people um, with Lift and Love and Gather and what's become of that. Allison Dayton, as you may know, we sh- our, her daughter and our son married each other. My wife just left to tend that common grandkid that we have. So we love the Dayton family and and all that Allison and many, many others have done to create Gather. And now the scaling of Gather um, into these individual, you know, through the content that's been developed to be able to have these conversations based on the Book of Mormon in circles that are that are needed. Can I share one story about Allison? Yes, uh, tell us some good scoop I, about I, I have so many stories about her, but this is one that happened just yesterday. Um, she texted me that she'd been invited to like speak at something. She's like, yeah, I'm going to do the speaking thing. I was like, I'm, and I was like, yeah, I'm so glad. And she said, Ben, I'm so sorry. It's me doing it. Not you. <laughs> like, like I wish that, that agreed. Like I wish that like, she's like, I wish the gay person were talking about the mom of the gay person, uh, something like that. Uh, and I said, thank you for being a voice when I can't be. And it just really means the world just like people like you and Allison, um, just, you know, elevate our voices and share your experiences and, you know, you're watering the waste places. I love that. Yeah. And I spent hours with Allison, Claire, and our friend Austin going through the gatherings curriculum, editing it. And then we found errors after, but we spent hours together talking about it. And uh, she's committed to creating spaces for people to gather. Um, so I just love that. It's trailblazing work in our community and so needed. And um, anything you would like to share in closing that comes to your mind? Yeah, I think people have already gotten a sense from my testimony, so I don't need to do that at the end. But um, a story keeps coming to mind that I just want to share really fast. And and it's about Charlotte's birthday party, her 90th <laughs> birthday party. Um, so Charlotte is beloved. She has so many friends, but she's always like the person, you know, in the kitchen and not the person in the spotlight. <laughs> so in December, I had this thought that I should plan a birthday party for her. Um, and it, it, the thought kept coming to my mind. And when I talk about personal revelation, the, the word I like the most is impression, because it feels like a thought just like it's pressed on me. And if the thought returns, like just keeps getting pressed on me. I'm like, oh, this is something from outside of me. And so that thought kept coming. I was like, this is really weird. This is really awkward because like 90 is a big deal. She has family. They'll throw a party for her. 
So finally, I was like, I can't ignore this prompt. And so I, I, I texted her, her kids, uh, who I know fairly well from, you know, living there uh, for five and a half years. I said, hey, I want to plan a party for, party for your mom. Um, it, it'll be for the friends. Like, you guys can help if you want, but I know you'll be doing a family thing. And this is more of a friend thing. And, and they, were, they were excited about it. So then they asked how they could help. And then it became the, a much bigger thing than I had originally planned. And they were all helping a ton. And it was, it was so fun. Like, it was Charlotte was on cloud nine. Uh, it was it was two days before her actual birthday. Then on, on the morning of her birthday, I was like Charlotte, how are you? How are you feeling on your birthday? She said, I'm still on cloud nine from that party. <laughs> you know, 150 people came. They just taught like uh, w- people shared stories about her and, and their love for her. And so she just like felt all this love. And that's what I want. I want her to feel loved. And that's what she felt. And as I was writing my journal that night, like after the party, which it was just like, it was perfect. Like Charlotte was beaming and it was just so fun. Um, and I like wrote in my journal about it and just like talking about like how I was so glad that Charlotte felt loved because that's what, what I wanted her to feel. And one of her daughters has said to me that like the, I was the only one who could have planned this party because she wouldn't have let her daughters do it. She would have shut it down, but because we're friends, she like let me do it, even though she was like embarrassed by the idea, but then ended up loving it. So it had to be me. Like I had to do it. And then as I was writing my journal and praying about that experience, I said, and I just thought hadn't come to me. I said, Heavenly Father, thank you for trusting me, trusting me with the inspiration to plan Charlotte's party. And thank you for knowing that I would follow that impression. Because uh, that's what needed to happen. And so the last thing I want to say is God will give us impressions. He will guide us. And we just have to do it. And sometimes it feels silly and awkward. Um, but God cared enough about Charlotte uh, and the love she would feel from her friends that day that he asked me to plan a little party for her. And God will ask us to do those kinds of things and miracles will happen when we do. I love that story. And I've seen those pictures on social media and you could have just said, this is a family deal. He's going to get enough family love, but I love you followed your impression to do friends Mm -hmm. and how much that meant to Charlotte. Um, And she doesn't look 90 (laughs) when I saw her picture on social media. And I just sense she was a young 90 year old. If you want to smile, look at the video I posted of, of her being sung happy birthday. She just looks so happy. And oh my God. Anyway, yeah. That is just great. Um, Ben, just personally, thank you. When I became an ally or wanted to become an ally in 2016, you know, I landed on your blogs and read everything you wrote. And I was, um, my spirit had been softened to the point where I wanted to do what Elder Uchtdorf invited us to get past the massive iron gates of what I thought I already knew and be open to sort of um, be willing to learn in my 50s about LGBTQ Latter-day Saints, and I probably speak for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, um, you and your book, um, Walk in My Shoes, and there's lots of other wonderful LGBTQ Latter-day Saints that are creating great content, but I happened to land on your blogs, mm-hmm. and you said things like, I thought the atonement would make me straight, but it healed my broken heart. I'll never forget when I read that. And just the Spirit confirming to me the power of what you just said. And that there's nothing that needs to be healed about sexual orientation. But the atonement can heal broken hearts. Mm-hmm. That waste places that you just read about in the Book of Mormon represents that. Yep. And um, so you've just continued to be and have been so helpful for me. And I speak with, I speak for many, many, many listeners that feel the same way. Many that you've 
met you at conferences and have told you that personally, but probably, you know, thousands of others that have never met you that feel the same way. When we post our podcasts at midnight, because that's when my podcast guy likes to post them, I wake up in the morning to make sure he's done it. And there's already, you know, over a thousand listens. And I'm thinking, who are these people <laughs> listening between midnight and 7 a.m.? And then I get emails and notes from people in Europe and people not in the church that are LGBTQ that talk about how helpful the LGBTQ guests are. And so, as you know, you're helping a lot of people that feel in the waste places, that feel scattered, that want to feel gathered, that want to feel Christ's love. And, and so you don't like this public praise. <laughs> you're kind of looking down and wishing this part of the podcast to be over, but you've helped. And I just trust you as you start your next decade and you're coming from a position of strength you're doing this from a position of being very intentional. It's not fear-based. Um, this is the best time for you to date. If And I just trust you um, that this is your path. And I trust you with the rest of your life. Um, you're a good man who's helped so much in our community. And I recognize we have work to do um, in our faith community to create a feeling of belonging for LGBTQ Latter-day Saints and recognize the courage you and Charlie, with your podcast, have both done with your books and your stories and many others that don't have as high a profile that are helping in their own ways and their own circle of influence to improve things. So that's all I'm going to say. Any final words, Ben? <laughs> uh, just thank you. Thank you for those kind words. Um, thank you for elevating our voices. And um, I'm excited that there will be many, many, many voices, um, people sharing their stories in the years to come. And I'm looking forward to mine being drowned out by all of those, uh, but I'm not going anywhere. So I'll, I'll keep uh, doing the work I feel called to do. That's great. So this is Ben Shalati and Richard Osler signing off from another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love. <laughs>